Welcome, everybody, to tonight's show. So tonight we have an amazing episode, and I cannot wait to get to, uh, you know, all the goodies. So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the NRG's first tournament, uh, the online tournament that's going on. It's 64 players, and as I know it, uh, there was uh, a bunch of people on the waiting list as well, so it's definitely picking up a lot of steam. Um, we're going to be going over a lot of the, you know, what was submitted and uh, between the factions, the commanders, and, you know, just kind of the rundown of uh, what people picked. So, um, Tonight we have with us two very special guests. We have on Carlo, who is uh, who runs NRG, and, which is uh, Northern Realm Games. So thank you so much, Carlo, for coming on. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Um, and yeah, no thanks problem. for helping to support the uh, to support the online event and get it out there and get it promoted. Yeah, definitely. You know, the more you know, the more we can get, the uh, you know, the better it'll be and. Uh, especially for future events and, you know, tournaments. Uh, and then on as our other guest is Fabio Curry, who is the lead developer for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game for uh, from CMON. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for having me, and it's always a pleasure. I'm hoping to hop on for a while now. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we had planned to have you on for uh, for Adepticon, but, uh, you know, everything kind of didn't work out very well. But uh, we definitely wanted to get you on as soon as we could. Um, yeah, thank you again. And uh, so for those listening, the rundown of the show, uh, we do this show live so that you guys can call in, ask us or our guests any questions. Um, you know, so same as always, if you're listening to this live, uh, definitely call in and uh We'll see if we can get you on. Um, you know, uh, our show usually runs about an hour, hour and a half or so. So call in uh, whenever you, you know, get a chance. For those that can't listen to us live, uh, we do have uh, the recordings on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, this site as well, Blog Talk Radio. Um, we do a live show every Tuesday at 8 uh, p.m. Central Standard Time. And then when we can, we do some uh, bonus episodes, uh, usually just kind of on a whim. Um, so, again, thank you guys for coming on. I, for this episode, we're going to let Brett kind of take it away and run us through uh, everything uh, with Carlo and Fabio. Oh, thanks, Dave. So, uh, Carlo, really quick before we start getting into some of the stats that you've accumulated from this tournament, um, you want to just do a really quick uh, rundown of the Song of Ice and Fire stats and uh, why it's, what, why you're putting it together and, and how you think that um, everybody who can submitting stats and registering is really going to help the uh, is going to help the community and ultimately we might be able to uh, help the developers out a little bit. Yeah, so I've been I've been building a song of a song of ice and fire dash stats.com for uh, I guess it's been in development for about nine months, six months now um, since it kind of went online. And uh, particularly with this, uh, with this new online event, um, it's really starting to pick up some steam about now. Um, it's collected over the past uh, two months, about a thousand game submissions. And what it looks to do is it looks to 
really look for trends in what um, is maybe underperforming, what is overperforming, and that will help to inform the players into making good competitive um, kind of list building decisions for themselves and help improve their own gameplay. But also, um, you know, that, that will feed back into uh, the game design. If that's something that becomes very apparent that things would be, are overperforming, it can be like a continuous um, kind of live playtest in a way. All the data that we collect will feed back and help to make a more balanced and competitive game. As long as uh, as long as people keep submitting their data, so I know at the moment you know we've got some a few very active users, um, but if we can just get uh, like the majority of players on there, the things that we could achieve, oh believe me, I love statistics and it just it just makes me happy to think that we what we could do, Brett. Well, this uh, this event that. Uh we've got coming up through uh, NRG, everybody had to uh, register on the Song of Ice and Fire stat. So hopefully that, uh, you know, kind of kickstarted some people and, and got them a little bit interested when they can, you know, go online and see where their stats are compared to people around the world. So hopefully that uh, gets things headed in, a, in, in the right direction for you. But uh, without further ado, uh, let's open up and talk about this 64-person uh, event. Um, you want to go ahead and give us uh, initially the breakdown of what houses were chosen, who's the most popular, and uh, yeah, just give us that number crunch on those. Definitely, yeah. So um, I, I almost couldn't have planned this event better if I'd wanted to, and believe me, it just happened by random random chance, but um, this is really shaped up to be maybe the big US Europe kind of face-off that a lot of people in uh, the discords have been uh, talking about asking for uh, really whether or not the metas are that different, whether or not the play styles are the same and whether or not um, one is better than the other, you know? So uh, what we've managed to get random chance is uh, almost exactly half of the entrance, 32 of the 64 are from North America. There are a couple of players from uh, Australia and Singapore, but the other 29 players are from Europe. So in my opinion, in a nearly equal split, basically bragging rights is going to go to whichever region manages to take home the number one position. So that is something that I'm really pleased about, that we got that great representation from across all the different methods and countries. And we'll, uh, we'll see how that kind of pans out. On the faction front, um, in some ways, it's, uh, I'd describe it as business as usual. Nothing's changed. But there are some, um, some, some surprises in a way. But I, I think I understand them all in terms of I, I, see, I see why that's happened. At the very top, we have 21 Stark entrants. That's 33% of all factions that are entered are Stark. This is not particularly surprising when you look um, over at the most recent 100-ish player tournament in Paris, Masters of Westeros, where again Starks represented about a third of all players that entered. What might surprise people in some ways is that Baratheons have now managed to take second most popular spot. Now, I guess the Baratheons are obviously the flavor of the moment with their new hero boxes coming out, uh, the Relore Faithful, as well as the Rose Knights. But I'm not at all surprised at how popular they are because 
despite the fact that according to the stats, the Baratheons have not been performing very well up until their recent releases. We all can kind of understand why any faction that doesn't have as many choices, doesn't have their full tool set, um, kind of underperforms against the, the more fully fleshed out factions. But even despite their recent problems and the fact that according to the stats, they are by and far the worst faction up until now, they have always been popular. They've been popular through their bad times, and now I think they're about to see their good times, and people are rushing to the Baratheons. So at 20% of all the entrants, Baratheons have become very, very popular. Um, followed quite closely behind that, we have Night's Watch with 11 entrants, Free Folk with 7 entrants, but Lannister seems to have taken a real big hit. They are only entered by five, 5 of the players, 8% of all the entrants, Lannisters look to be not a popular faction right now when you consider how long they've been around and how many options they have. Neutrals are almost as popular as Lannisters with four entrants, and Targaryens are still struggling to get off the ground uh, with only three entrants. That rounds out the 64, and for me, I guess, I wasn't surprised by the growth of Baratheons. I am maybe surprised at how little the love the Lannisters are getting right now. But uh, I guess from my own perspective, I can see how uh, a lot of Lannister players, myself, are uh, drawn to a lot of similarities in the Baratheons. And with all their new shiny tools, uh, I'm not surprised that a lot of Lannister players might have jumped ship to Baratheon to see what uh, all the hype is about. You know, it's actually interesting that you say that because I was just thinking this evening uh, with Melisandre, obviously, is a an incredibly popular NCU in a, in a Stannis theme list. And I played the game, I, I came in just a little bit after it was released, but the, the Melisandre bomb, as a, as a player who played under the old rules, it's like, I've kind of seen this before. This is, this is like the old Searcy bomb. And the old Searcy bomb maybe was a little bit less reliable than the, than the current Melisandre bomb, but... Uh, yeah, I, I definitely see some of the uh, some of the similarities between the Baratheons and, and maybe the Lannisters when they first started. But uh, really quick, Fabio, you um, have play tested a lot of this stuff. Does this does this uh, choice surprise you? Does this split of representation surprise you? In particular, are you surprised to see Lannisters so low? Honestly, I am very surprised in general because I would that the factions would have an equal spread of choice. Um, but I, I know that this is not how it works. I think that Starks be a little bit more uh, uh, skewed to have more players because of the fact that they... Pardon, let me just collect okay. Starks might have more people because they're one of the earlier factions. And uh, I can't understand why Lester's wouldn't. Personally, I think this might be also a thing about just how people choose factions. And I guess in a song of Empire, we usually choose their house based. I don't know. I don't want to talk uh, and put words in people's mouths. But I think that the Baratheons are very popular because of how they played in the books. And I can see like Lannister players migrating through a clarity in, in play style, but. Uh, I don't 
No, they are supposed to be very different. Right? And I hope that people will see that eventually. No, I, th- I think there's notable differences. I think perhaps drawing some parallels like I did might be reaching. Uh, the Baratheons are a really um, reactive army, so I think the play style is definitely quite different from the Lannisters. So um, I perhaps misspoke when I said that they're they're a little bit too similar. So, um, so I, yeah. I think that um, um, for for me as a as a, as a long time Lannister player, I see I see a lot of my favorite tools in the Baratheons. So that's why I see how people want to jump ship. Um, I see I see the option to play a very panic based list with Melisandre and the whole Stannis side of uh, the R'hllor faithful. They got those vicious. Um, keywords they, they, they've got a lot of similar things in that way but also i mean if you if you want to take your uh, favorite tactics card with you you can still play courtney penrose and have your uh, you can still have your counterplot um and uh, really you can still run a very sustained kind of um tanky kind of list that um that maybe you might have seen with lots of guardsmen and um and uh, poor fellows but now it's uh now it's in the form of uh, rose knights and uh, and renly side of Terrell. you know I, I think they're very different i think their tactics cards the deck itself plays very differently and it's a whole new skill but i see why as a lannister player i see why people are enticed by those shiny new baratheon toys and you know why why they might think you know what uh, I'll try them. I'll try them. You know, I'll give them a go. Understood. Um, what about you, Dave? Um, does this split surprise you? I know that you're a longtime Stark player, um, but I know you play Lannisters as well. So are you are you, are you surprised to see Lannisters so uh, unpopular in this, in this event? Um. I'd say I'm not necessarily uh, surprised about the Starks. Um, I mean, I don't know if uh, you noticed, but the the percentages for the factions are super close to the the power rankings we gave all of the factions on, I believe, our last uh, episode. Uh, I think what I had uh, Starks, Free Folk, uh, Baratheons, Night's Watch. Lannister, neutral Targaryen, and there's only a couple swapped in there. Um, but as far as Lannisters, I am surprised that I'm not surprised that they're on the lower side, but as low as they are, yes, I I thought they would have probably had I don't know at least three more uh, entries uh, at minimum. So what are they at? They're at five. So out of 64 people, I would say eight. It may not seem like a huge jump, but we're talking about a 64-player pool. Uh, I definitely am surprised with only uh, five people, though. And the fact that, you know, virtually Targaryens, Neutrals, and Lannisters uh, are all, you know, pretty identical. And I would almost even say that Free Folk is, pretty, is close enough to be lumped into the same uh, group. So, yeah, I mean... It, it definitely will be interesting to see, uh, you know, how it kind of plays out. I'm I'm personally what, um, personally surprised. Go ahead, Carla. Sorry, go on, Brett. Um, I was just going to say. Um, 
<laughs> I think there's a little bit of delay on my end. Uh, uh, I guess I'll just carry on and hope that we don't uh, bump into each other too much. Um, what, what, what's, what's super exciting, actually, about these entrants that I'm really looking forward to seeing is um, even when Baratheons have been struggling in the past, they have quite, according to the stats that I've collected through the site so far, they've, 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 they've struggled with just above a 30% win rate ratio, which is significantly worse than any other, other faction. The one thing that they have already managed to achieve is the faction they pair up best against is the Starks. So even in the past, before they had the Rose Knights, before they had all their new uh, heroes, all their new commander options, they were already winning almost 50% of the time against Starks. So I'm really looking to see whether or not the the counter-attacking, heavy durability of these Baratheon lists will really put a bit of a dent into the Stark dominance as possibly the most powerful faction right now. I say possibly because the stats still say that the free folk are actually game for game more likely to win. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm back to the the Lannister ad that I was surprised because uh, Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons, where the the general idea for winning that is to get your your commander onto a token and just kind of hold onto it for dear life. It's it's surprising to me that with those two scenarios being played, um, guys weren't trying to take advantage of Cersei and some of the Lannister tricks as far as getting them to drop that token and pass it off. But uh, that that's passed now. So um, uh, I guess we can go ahead and move on. Uh, if you want to give us uh, the start of some of the commander breakdown, who who ended up being the most popular commander? So Rob. With, with Starks having such a significant number of entrants, then Rob is obviously a very popular choice. Rob, Rob appears in 12 lists across, um, well, there's a total of 42 Stark lists. He's not overwhelmingly the most, you know, out there kind of popular choice. I think there are a couple of trends, though. There is a very good selection, wide selection of commanders. Obviously, there's quite a few that that receives zero picks. But I think that it's always going to be hard to make all the commanders competitive at the same time. Um, But one of the more interesting trends that I see is that, well, 66% of all players who have entered the competition, in one of their lists, they use an NCU commander. And, you know, none of them use NCU commanders in both lists but 66% of players use them in one list. So what that means is, is that we nearly always see in every faction as you break it down, pretty much every faction outside of the, you know, um, outside of the Baratheon loyalty scheme, they all have a singular NCU choice, possibly Roost. So it's not at all uncommon for the most popular choice for each faction or very close to the most popular choice for each faction, to be its one NCU commander. So what we see is we see Rob as the most popular commander 12 times, but Howland follows him with nine choices. Starks are actually one of the factions that choose an NCU commander the least often. But then the next most uh, common commander is Othel, picked 
nine times. This, I have to say, is the singular commander that surprised me the most. I can understand why Nightwatch players don't feel an affinity towards the Roos panic mechanics uh, and his cards. But according to the statistics that I've collected, Offal is by far the weakest Nightwatch commander. I'm very interested to see whether, whether or not that's just to do with the collections that I've received so far. You know, the statistics are always, you know, a, a living, a living collection of uh, entries. And the more we get, the more information we have and the more correct they become. So I'm really interested to see with whether or not Offal does cut it or if he actually is a bad Night's Watch choice. In general, uh, may I interrupt? Um, we t- go on, of course, yeah. Um, so that's funny because during playtests, Othel is actually considered a very potent commander. And I'd say it's because he can tutor his cards, so he can always uh, claim a zone and, and Sansa his own cards <laughs> uh, in a way. And his, his cards have amazing synergy with basically all built units. I'm sorry, you can continue. I just thought that was curious yeah. because your yeah, data I mean, a lot from my Yeah, it, it, it's quite possible. Um, you know, the uh, I'll just, uh, on the faction page itself, um, so we're talking about um, across 211 games total for the Night's Watch, but it's, uh, I don't, I haven't actually broken down the statistics yet by commander specifically in terms of how many collections I have per per each result. That's kind of the thing that we statistics, statistics, they start to lose relevance when we're talking about less than say 32 data points. It's kind of like statistically speaking, people, you know, in, you know, in like mathematics, they, they like 32 is a nice easy number at which we say, well, this is starting to have some real relevance depending on how spread this information is. We can start to say, Hey, 32 is enough. So, when we don't have 32 sets of entries for each commander, it's, it's, it's often not worth breaking it down yet. So we haven't reached that point, so I haven't broken it down that far, but I will be very interested to see whether or not Othel cuts it. And uh, because, because the statistics so far, like, like I say, they say that he doesn't, but uh, I've, I have a strong inclination that um, when picked into the right game mode, NCU commanders are always a strong choice. So I don't see why Offal is any different to all the other NCU commanders out there because uh, when it comes to Lannisters, the stats say that High Sparrow is a very, very strong choice. For the, um, for the Starks, Howland is always considered uh, right up there. Um, and in general, all the picks follow quite closely to what the statistics have identified and what the ranking numbers state are kind of the better, the better choices out there. We, we see very few people from the bottom end and we see a lot of commanders that have high rankings. And this is, I don't believe, I don't believe people are using the statistics and the rankings yet to make their choices. I think this is just a collective knowledge that people know that these commanders are performing well and therefore, you know, they're drawn to them. Um, other, other notable ones, I guess, um, are Harmer, 
is obviously very popular in the free folk. She is by a long way the most highly rated free folk commander. And of all the commanders on the site in general, she has the highest individual rating. So what this means is, is that every time she plays a game, she is, statistically speaking, more likely to win than any other commander that's picked. That's after the site it attempts. I say attempts because it needs more submissions and more time for the rankings to mature. It attempts to consider how good the two players are, not just ask who's more likely to win based on lists. It also tries to consider who's the better player here, what's their chances of winning. I guess that's most of the, my main takeaways. Um, a lot of a lot of NCU commanders, and obviously we see the Stark numbers very high, but that's because the Stark entries are all very high. But Othel's the the standout for me, as I was surprised by that, considering his statistics. And people are generally shying away from Roose Bolton, and generally leaning towards their NCU commander from their own faction. Yeah, that's that's a lot of really good data. Um, I'm not overly surprised. Um, uh, like, as Fabio was saying with Othel, um, I can go into it a little bit more, but I thought he was always a pretty good choice, and his cards add a little bit of aggression to Night's Watch, who play a little bit more reactive, but he adds some definite uh, definite aggression and, and offense potential. But uh, since we talked about Free Folk and Harma, uh, Chris is our... Uh, uh, small council radio expert on the free folk. So Chris, uh, how about your take on this? Are you at all surprised to see that Harma was the most popular or was that pretty much uh, a given? That is absolutely not a surprise at all. It's actually one of the commanders I am using. So I think we pretty much have talked about in the past that it's kind of by far and away the the top commander for free folk. So that's pretty chewing for me that she's a, a tough one here. And then as we're talking about free folk, obviously you've loved them for a long time and uh, I rated them very high personally. Are you, uh, are you surprised to see that they, that they didn't have more, more entries? I am a little bit surprised. I thought they would have more entries than what they have. Um, not just because of him, but uh, Michelle Rumsbums has been very vocal about his success with the Army. And I think uh, most of our listeners and a, a lot of people, you know, know that he's been doing really, really well with them. So um, what would you guess, Chris? Uh, you, you play free folk, so you've seen the good and the bad. What do you think is the, the hiccup where maybe people are a little bit hesitant to use free folk? Is it the learning curve? Uh, what do you think it is? Yeah, I think kind of like we've talked about previously that the learning curve with these guys, it's it's not easy. It's very unforgiving. If you make a mistake, it can really cost you as opposed to some of these other armies that is a little more forgiving. So when people are trying out, this is not really one that you start at. But I'm excited there's at least seven of us giving it a go. So that's a plus. And what about you, Fabio? Um, I know you, uh, from you and I's personal conversations, I know that you feel all factions are balanced. 
And, uh, you know, we did those rankings just for fun, but obviously we, we feel like any faction is capable of beating any other. It's kind of like the, the old adage for football, any given Sunday, uh, any, any faction can lose to the other faction. There's a lot of variables in that. But uh, are, you, are you surprised to see Free Folk solo? Because I think that they have one of the highest ceilings out of all the factions. And I think if, if uh, you know, you learn that play style and give it a little bit of work, they, I think they're really rewarding. Um, so I understand why uh, Free Folk might not be as popular in um, this situation, because specifically uh, of the high floor, uh, since you said uh, the high ceiling, there's also a high floor for free folk, but I'm sorry. Uh, so at the same time, I think that in the middle of a match, if you're playing free folk and you accidentally make a mistake, it's very hard to get back on track. Um, whereas other factions, uh, you might be able to uh, heal back a unit and it can just hold a certain position, and in free folk, you don't have that luxury, so you have to be playing your top game. And so I guess that, especially in a, a two-list format, where you can have that list that you're more comfortable and that can cushion you a bit better, that's a jack-of-all-trades, uh, other factions can provide that to you, whereas free folk, it's a little bit harder to tailor an all-rounder list. You usually have to focus on a specific thing, even though they focus on many things, but each list has to be focused. Okay. I, I know we agreed not to break down specific lists, but I did, when I was kind of glancing through some of the lists, I did see the presence of uh, the Bone Lords Chosen, and they were, you know, recently given a rework, and obviously they got significantly stronger so uh carlo i don't know if you have the exact number but i know i saw at least two or three of that rather expensive for free folk 10 point unit uh is that something you've ever put on the table chris yes i have used them i love them i like all the bone people including rattle shirt He's in a couple more, both lists, too, I believe. So, um, the Rattle Shirt, um, so Attachment Rattle Shirt in the Bone Lords Chosen appears five times across um, across the 14 Free Folk lists, seven players, 14 lists. Um, interestingly enough, you know, there's not a single Rattle Shirt commander in there, so that's that's always attachment rattle shirt with that as you say quite heavy 10 point investment free folk are one of the few factions that can bring a 10 point unit and still be able to say compete or even out activate their opponent due to the number of raiders that they may bring the number of ncus they might bring so in some ways it's not such a significant investment for the free folk so i can see why since their rework, they have a lot of strength, a lot of utility. Uh, I do like them. I've, uh, I've I've seen them played. I'm not a big Free Folk player myself, but uh, I, I play regularly against Free Folk, and I have seen my opponents trying them out, and I've seen them do some pretty, you know, some pretty big work on the battlefield. And that's a real different dynamic 
to a lot of the old style free folk lists where it was all about activation advantage, all about little chipping damage where they can and kind of frustrating you. This is a real focal point for the army and, I, and, I, and I'm really interested and excited to see a whole new dynamic to the free folk because it was lacking um, because giants were not chosen a lot. Giant, there, are, there are some giants out there. But this is a real investment and a real unit that's still got some, you know, it's still not super, super tough by comparison to some of the other factions, but it has real damage potential and a lot of utility, a lot of great abilities. And uh, I'm glad that the Free Folk have a whole new choice. And then, and then you, Fabio, um, he mentioned kind of the rise of the Giants. I did see some Giants in the, in the list. Uh, that's got to that's got to please you guys since you went through and gave some of these units some love and it would appear as though they're you know reemerging on the table or in the case of the Bone Lords Chosen I won't say they were never used but they were relatively unpopular but yeah if five out of the fourteen lists have them that's about a third of them so that's got to make you guys happy from from where you're sitting yeah that's definitely a sweet spot I guess people are using them but. If there's still a lot of variety, not everyone is using them. I'd be interested that there's five out of 14. Are those five lists from separate players, for example? Or is there a player with two lists, uh, both followers of Bone? That would be interesting. I guess um, I, I don't have those off the top of my head. Um, I think I think there is at least one player who runs them twice. Um uh, but um, I think I think I think there's a, a general kind of scattering of them across four of the four of the seven free folk players. I think are playing them one of them twice. They they only ever appear obviously because there's only one because um, they're unique. They appear in each list once, and I'm pretty sure that there's a singular player who runs them twice. But that's kind of the 64 lists. Well, actually 128 lists, and uh, you know we're stretching my memory just now. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Also, so, was, the working. Uh, sorry, you go. No, you've got it, Fabio. You go. No, I was also thinking about the MCUs. I'm sorry to backtrack, but I think that the, the certain like dominance of MCU commanders might also have to do with the two list format, where people will always. Uh, fall back to having an NCU commander as their B list, not always, but probably. And maybe if it was a one list format, this might change drastically. Yeah, I think I think um, you know it is important to. So I I I was very kind of aware when I looked at the statistics that, like I say, see, uh, this is of people who can pick because that takes free folk out of the out of the equation people who can pick an ncu commander like you say 66 percent of them do but it's only ever in one of their lists you know there's the I, I think there's a really nice balance in the game modes right now from when i'm writing lists um that there are game modes that favor the ncu commander and there are game modes that favor the on-field commander and i think having those two different styles to play into uh, is really important and I guess um, is maybe 
maybe the biggest uh, biggest hindrance that free folk currently face that they don't have uh, that they don't have that MCU commander option. Uh, do you have the numbers in front of you um, for the number of uh, Brendan Tully, the the ground commander, uh, of how many times he was selected? Uh, yeah, Brind- Brindon, Brindon's pretty popular. He's, uh, he's been taken seven times. So uh, we have Rob at 12, Howland at nine, and Brindon at seven. Roderick also gets a pretty solid mention in at seven. And then we're talking quite small numbers. It's quite a steep drop-off after that. Yeah, I was just asking because I, I want to ask Dave, who's, who's played Starks from the beginning, and he is a huge fan of uh, Brendan Tully. Uh, how, how do you feel, Dave, about uh, Rob being selected more often than Brendan? Uh, I mean, I'm not completely surprised. Uh, Rob, I think at this point, not only is he very good, he's one of the four original commanders from when the game started. Um, I apologize. Uh, one of the original six commanders, because the neutrals had two. Uh, but you know, so I think at this point, a ton of people are not only you know comfortable with him, but the fact that uh, he's gotten some pretty big boosts. Uh, I think from the get-go, he was always kind of a good commander. But as you know, as uh, Starks have gotten tools. Uh, Rob has just gotten better, I feel like. So, But as far as uh, Brendan Tully on foot, um, if you ask me, uh, I know kind of bias, you know, being my main army, but Brendan Tully is the best commander there is um, competitively. Uh, I run him and my main list every single main tournament ever, and I absolutely love, you know, the way he plays. So we'll see. I'm very, very excited to see how well the people who ran him um, do in the tournament. Uh, granted, I'd have to look at the, the list again to see if anyone double uh, ran, like ran two lists with him, or if it's actually seven people with with one of their lists being him. But, uh yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see. I tried getting you to play him, but you had to be, uh, you know, you. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. I'm, I, I might want to let the listeners know. I am, I am such a terrible person when it comes to loyalty in this game. <laughs> I, I, I started with, I started with Lannisters and Tyrion, and, and we'll touch on them here in a little bit. And then I played Night's Watch for a really long time. Uh, I absolutely love Night's Watch, but I decided to change it up again. I am. I'm actually playing Starks in this event, so I'm uh, I'm getting booed and jeered by my co-hosts here in uh, in our uh, group chat. So there's there's Dave taking a shot. But um, how about uh, how about neutrals? Let's hear from let's hear from Justin. He's our our neutral expert. Can you give us the uh, the breakdown of those neutral commanders? You said there were four neutral players. Yeah, we've got four neutral players. Um, obviously, they've got a relatively uh, small commander selection. Uh, we, have, we end up with four Roos, three Ramsey, and one Vargo. Dario does get picked inside of other factions, but not through the neutral selection at the moment. And it's pretty much, if you choose neutrals right now, you're effectively picking Bolton lists. I would completely agree with that. Um, 
I basically stick to Boltons right now. Uh, although I've got some lists written for like Bloody Mummers, mm, not too many Stormcrow lists. I guess Dario doesn't really fit my style. I think if you want to hit someone hard and fast, Ramsey's going to do a better job. But uh, Roos being the main commander, I think right now with how the meta is, that's completely understandable. Uh, his cards can be incredible. Well, most of his cards can be incredibly valuable. And being able to cycle through calculated cruelty up to six times in a game is uh, pretty good. Out of curiosity, um, maybe you don't know because, like you said, memory being stretched, but do you know how many people are using Varus and Walder with Bruce? Or either or? Um, I don't have um, I don't have those numbers specifically. I might be able to grab them for you in a second if you give me a minute. Um, on on Varus and Walder in general, Varus appears 29 times across all lists. And that's basically 25% of all lists that can take him do take him that's i don't know fabio maybe you can decide whether or not you think that's the number where you want him but one in four lists will run uh varus walder and Tycho, incidentally are both about half as popular as that they appear in 15 lists each so we're talking about 12 and a half percent um varus however despite being a neutral commander and being pretty uh, neutral NCU and being pretty popular is not the most picked NCU. Hmm. Who is? Sansa Stark. Sansa oh. appears 32 times across the 42 Stark lists. And that's 76% of all Stark lists pick Sansa Stark. That's post Rework, nerf, you could call it, post-toning down of her ability, Sansa Stark is still incredibly popular. That's super interesting. Uh, I'm very surprised. i, I got to be honest. I'm really surprised to see a Vargo Hote list in it. Um, I think that's really exciting. I want to see how he does. I, I've got my opinions about it. Um, I think he's got the potential to be really good. I just don't think he's got enough working for him right now to do well. Um but I would I would be very interested and in keep an eye on that one. I have uh, and I have an answer to your question, which is um, across the eight neutral lists, six of them are running Varys and Waldefrey. I actually kind of thought it'd be something like that, just to to give that potency of keeping a lot shut down. But the problem it's, with that is not hugely surprising when you consider that they don't have the same NCU pool to pick from. That the other factions who can pick and uh, neutrals plus their own so you know with only a small pool it's not unsurprisingly surprising that you see that many but it is a strong combination so you know it's, it's a bit of both right how many type of storage are you making? uh in the same list yeah sure um ooh. Now I'll have to look. Um, so Ty Tycho appears 15 times total uh, with Roos. Uh, Fabio, while he's looking that up, uh, I just want to ask you to touch on what, uh, what Carlo asked you with uh, Varys appearing 25 times, do you think you guys have kind of hit your happy spot with him where he's not auto-include, but he's also 
still pretty popular because uh, his initial first two in, incarnations were almost so powerful that they appeared in, at least in the competitive tournaments I played in, you had a very good chance of running into Barrett. It, it felt like 50%. And then when he got changed to five points, uh, he was almost not there at all. So are you are you happy with, with where he is as far as this tournament goes? Uh, you know, roughly maybe a little bit less than 25%? Yeah, uh, for sure. That's definitely an improvement. I think that the problem about this is, and honestly, I think we've said this before somewhere, I'm not sure, but the perception of his power, right, where you read that and it sounds very strong and it can be very strong, but if you don't use that right and you just, on his abilities in the early game, or even sometimes you, you don't even have the proper situations to use them. So um, I think that I was hoping he would even get uh, picked less, but even still, it's really a great improvement. I just think that Varus have aura around him uh, that seems very strong. I have uh, I have an answer for you, Fabio, and. Um... I have to say it surprised me, um, and it might surprise you. Uh, maybe it doesn't. Um, so Tycho's picked 15 times total. He's never picked in any list which has a neutral commander. That's both in the neutral faction or when a neutral commander is picked in any of the other factions. They never appear together. Tycho only ever appears combined with other factions. Wow, that's very interesting. I guess the Iron Bank always wants to make someone king, right? And neutrals are usually just sell swords and cutthroats. I find it beautifully poetic. Uh, Fabio, on your point about um, about Varus being really powerful, but you do have to use him at the right time, I know Dave and I can easily vouch for that. I think the same tournament, him and I uh, had him either fail three times or I think Dave had a game where he didn't get to be used at all basically because he was either shut off or nothing was going on for him to be used and I know I've had games where I know he's going to get shut off so I go through his tokens as quick as possible and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't uh, but it forces them to either choose a different NCU or still shut off a non-usable NCU at that point Definitely an improvement I guess before situations where the game would revolve around him and now he's just another piece in the top table yeah I mean I'm, I'm personally glad to see it um, I know nobody asked but um, <laughs> I do a lot of competitive gaming and uh, yeah it was it was borderline um, almost obnoxious to to have Varus, and it, it was almost like the stigma that that you had to bring Varus if you wanted to be competitive. Uh, you had Varus and Night's Watch, Varus and Stark, Varus in every single Tyrion list, and uh, so yeah, I'm glad to see he's kind of toned down a little bit. I'm genuinely surprised that Walder's not more popular than what he is, but uh, I'm not overly surprised with Tycho. He has some really nice synergies uh, in some other builds. I know probably guys, if I was guessing, guys that are running Kingsguard with Joffrey probably have Tycho in their list. Uh, I think people are probably pairing Eddard Stark and Tycho together in Tully lists. So um, 
yeah, I think he synergizes pretty well with certain builds, so not overly surprised by that. But uh, I'll go ahead and transition into uh, the next faction to kind of go over their commanders and bring one of our one of our guys on. Uh, how about uh, Baratheon? Uh, how does their commander break down? So, obviously, the first thing you have to talk about with Baratheons is um, is, is the Renly Stannis split, and with the two different uh, hero boxes coming out, one for each side, along with their units, R'hllor and Rose Knights, we're really just starting to see which side people are going to fall on. And right now, it's reasonably strongly in Renly's favor. We have 17 lists that are running Renly Baratheon loyalty and nine lists that are running Stannis Baratheon loyalty. Um, what that does is it makes um, it makes original Renly charismatic heir by a significant margin the most popular um, Baratheon pick eight times. Next, we see Courtney Penrose. As I said, those NCU commanders always being a popular pick. Courtney comes in five times. The Stannis camp seems to be relatively split, with three in Andrew Estamont, three in Axel Florent that NCU pick, as always. We've got a couple of Stannis rightful heirs. And uh, the new Renly, Renly Lord Paramount, he only gets picked twice. Loras gets a couple of picks at two. And finally, we have Roos, who is paired up with a Stannis R'hllor list. I've looked at it specifically. It's quite a nice list and goes very hard into the panic mechanics. That's Cameron's list, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Cameron Wright from Indy. Anyways, um, so um, what, uh, okay. what do you think, Jose? Uh, yeah, so my thoughts, um, I'm not surprised that the Renly side is what people are going towards. I think we've talked about it before that um, Renly's, the Renly side, I think, is a little more forgiving. Um, and their their synergies and all sorts of all that sort of stuff is a lot more straightforward than Stannis's. Um, Stannis is it's kind of like, I mean it's not free folks level, but it's kind of like where you have to work at it. I think um, so that doesn't really surprise me. Um, I think I think that's always going to be the case. I don't I, I don't really ever see the the Stannis side of things picking up more than the Renly side of things. Um, what does surprise me is that out of the Renly, I mean, the Stannis side of things that, uh, Andrew like all the commanders were like, it was like three, three and three versus I thought Andrew would have been higher, the highest. Cause I think he's someone that I think a lot of people, including myself are, um, really curious about just cause he has, um, arguably, um, some of the best practice cards, uh, and that he brings to the table. So I, I was, I thought he'd be more like like he'd be the lead person for Stannis. Um, so that kind of shocked me a little bit. I'm a little shocked that one is picking Davos, right? Yep, zero Davos uh, as, picks. As a as a commander or wait, as a commander or attachment? Uh, both. Um, I'd like to to hear a little more a little more about Davos. But I thought he would get more love. Uh, on the internet in general. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, moving on to, I mean, like that, that just picks up something else um, that 
I guess uh, I wasn't going to come to till later, but um, Davos is one of the few. Da- Davos um, has zero commander picks. He also is selected across all lists zero times. There are he is one of the few that is never selected. So da- Davos does not seem to get the love that he maybe thought he would. Uh, which I find very interesting because he fills a gap that the Baratheons have in their fashion as a whole, which is uh, mobility in general, and he also brings in a little bit of ease to the status camp. So it, it's funny. I I would expect people to use him more as a crutch, and in the end, he's not being fixed. I think it's... Uh... I think it might be because, you know, a lot of people probably haven't had enough uh, chance to test him. And he, like you said, he adds, like, something that uh, is out of the realm of Baratheon's normal play. So I think because it's a tournament setting, you know, in a not, you know, a traditional one, but because it is a tournament, I think a lot of people are not at that point that they've gotten to test him enough for a play style that they're probably not used to, at least with Baratheons. I, I would agree with Seems that. Is, um, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, since, since, since you kind of mentioned it, Fabio, um, with you used the word crutch. I, I generally don't. I like to, you know, um, maybe just talk in terms of like uh, what's, um, what's popular, but I guess cr- crutch is one way to put it. Um, on the um, on the loyalty side, I was I, 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 there were some very interesting statistics. Um, did you do you allow when you designed the units for there to be more of a crutch mentality, shall we say, with those units because it's almost the reward for having selected. Um, that loyalty and closing yourself off to many other options. So you limited your pool by selecting into that um, loyalty. I'll give you a couple of examples, which really are quite, quite surprising to me. Maybe not straight away with Melisandre, but actually with Elden. Um, so Elden Estamon appears in 16 of the 17 Renly Baratheon lists. That's, the three-point NCU Eldon Estamont, 16 times. That's 94% of all lists that can take Eldon Estamont do. That blows anything else in terms of popularity right out the water. And then on the other side of the flip coin, Melisandre, eight people run Stannis lists. One of them runs them twice. 100% of people who pick Stannis pick Melisandre. That is eight of the nine lists have Melisandre in, and the person who doesn't run Melisandre runs Melisandre in their B list. Or maybe that was their B list. They run a Melisandre in their A list. Do you consider Melisandre and Estamont the reward for having selected the loyalty, or do you think that maybe people are just gravitating towards them because they so highly define um, the, the way the faction and the sub-loyalty are supposed to work inside of Breathing? Honestly, I never thought of it as a reward. Uh, I find it very interesting that you put it that way. Of 
course, when you do choose a loyalty, you are giving up a couple of options, but they're opening up um, paths for list building that are very, very unique. Um, these are still to be developed, so fully fleshed out um, in, in future releases. And I think it's already, uh, you can already see where, where the fashions are going and each loyalty is going. But honestly, I still think we don't have enough data to to say these things, uh, to make any conclusions. I mean, so when 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 something new comes up, we people are still experimenting, and obviously, you look at these very uh, strong and, like you said, characteristic units each of the faction, and you might gravitate to them immediately. But I think that will is not is not accurate yet that after people are have played more and played against Baratheons, um this might change a little bit because um with my playlister I can see this more even evened out because they're just already used to all this stuff and they have a larger pool of options. They tend to spread out more choices. That's I was just going to say I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of moving back, but I'm definitely with Fabio that I'm surprised that uh, Davos is not more popular. When I when when these cards were spoiled and I looked at him, I think I almost said verbatim exactly what Fabio said. I said this guy is is a very nice choice because he gives Baratheon something that they don't already have. He gives them some movement tricks, which is something they really lack. Um, Baratheons, as they are now, the, the, the list that I see built, uh, maybe with a well-timed countercharge, you'll get a flank attack. But outside of that, they're not moving to anybody's flank. They're not, they're not moving to the rear. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the key part of the game, being a, a rank-and-file type game, is getting those flank attacks and uh, getting into a better position. And, yeah, I'm just genuinely surprised that he's not moved, that he's not used more. And I think Parlay is a fantastic and unique card. Uh, I referenced it to being similar to Delay Orders from Tyrion, which I ran a lot of Tyrion. And but but his is almost better. You know, it, depending on how you look at it, it could be better. Uh, if you take your wardens that don't necessarily punch super hard, and then they take a a powerhouse unit out of the game, like uh, the Unsullied. So you've got a five point unit because of a card that's taken their biggest puncher out of the game. So I'm genuinely surprised by that. And he Some has of, such a, a, a low floor to him, right? Because he also gives you from tricks. And uh, people already say that Swift Advance is very powerful. Fleet Bottom Tricks is just a better version of that, right? Of course, it's at the expense of Hours of the Fury. But once again, highly needed mobility and uh, new triggers and, and new situations, right? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's exactly that's exactly how I felt. Uh, it gives them some some cards that don't have timing conflict, and uh, with with some of the attachments they have, like the Stagnite Noble, and then with Ars of the Fury and Countercharge, and uh, you know, it's it's surprising to me that more people didn't opt to kind of round their list out and add that mobility because yeah, Swift Advance. I've been on on the the giving end of that and the receiving end, and it's it's one of the 
it's one of the better cards in the game. Um, so, yeah, just I'm genuinely surprised. So, but uh, that Davos seems to have been the real overlooked character. Where, where we will, we will not be able to collect any statistics on him, so we won't know whether or not that is um, that's the right choice or not. We don't know whether or not he would have won won any games, but across Baratheons, which as a whole are quite a popular faction in this event. Davos does not appear as a commander, an attachment, or an NCU. And there are only a very short list of NCUs that don't appear. I mean, I have them all in front of me. Jack and Agar, zero picks. I know a lot of people were very concerned when they saw Jacken's first abilities, but it seems the five points seems to be a little bit too high a price tag for him. Davos, zero selections. Tyrion Lannister, zero selections as an NCU. Maybe not a huge shock when you consider that there aren't many Lannister entries. Um, but still, you know, there are a lot of good four-point Lannister NCUs out there, so it's a clustered kind of area. But still, interesting that he didn't get picked at all. And then the final one is Alistair Florent, who also received zero selections. But in some ways, that's not surprising when you look at how popular Elden Estimant are is and how popular Melisandre is. Backing up behind that, Shira Errol seems to be a very, very common selection too. And if you're looking at three NZUs, that's easily rounded out with Axel Florent or Courtney Penrose kind of filling out your, uh, your, 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 your last selection on that three NCU front. But yeah, Davos, of everybody, is probably the most overlooked character in this event. So... Yeah. One thing I want to wanted to ask uh, it's a question from uh, someone in the chat. So it's a Night's Watch question, and they noticed that they saw in one of the lists that there, there's a Builder Stone Thrower, and they wanted to know uh, if we thought that they could be used competitively, or if we thought they might be too swingy. Um, personally, I think. Uh, I don't know. I think stone throwers are ridiculously strong. I think it really comes down to whether or not you have an answer for getting to it. Um, but uh, as long as you're hitting, I mean, granted you're looking at a three up, but if you combine that with awful and give yourself some rerolls or something, uh, awful uh, commander, uh, I mean, it greatly increases the chance that you can make sure that thing is hidden. And I think you could really start devastating some units, especially if you're facing uh, stone throwers are amazing if you're going to face like more of an elite type list where they only have like four units. So how do you guys think? I think if a Baratheon player that didn't choose Devos runs into that list in Game of Thrones, they're going to be really upset that they ran into that list and they didn't bring Devos to help them get across the board. Um, but in all seriousness, a stone thrower against uh, – I took a glance at some of the uh, some of the Renly lists, and it's like Warden, Warden, Rose Knight. Uh, they're going to have a really bad game if they get matched against that stone thrower, and the best they can do is movement four, March 8th, and I'm sure the stone thrower player is going to bog it up as much as he can, dead body pilot, slow them down. It could be a really long game, so – I think in, in, in the right matches, it can be incredibly devastating. And since we're just talking about Baratheons now, I'm going to pick on them. But uh, like a, a list with a lot of Lannister guard would be in the same situation. So 
it'd be, I'm really interested to see if it's the stone thrower player or the, the guy on the other end who has a bad game. But I, I think somebody's going to, somebody's going to be a little upset at the end of the game. I, I like it that there's, that there's a stone thrower. To see a single entry with the stone thrower. There is, there, there is only one combat unit in everything that isn't picked at all. A single one. Um, I guess we'll come to it in a bit. Um, but the stone thrower comes in with a notable mention with the single selection. The um, the Ballista uh, Scorpion crew, um, they come in reasonably more popular with four selections. What's interesting with that one partially is that it's always paired with the Scorpion modifications. Not a single uh, Scorpion crew exists without modifications. So that seems to be just a must-have pairing. But yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. This stone thrower list runs a set of conscripts to tie and slow the opponent up. Uh, I think it also has a unit of uh, Night's Watch veterans. So, you know, it's still got some punch power and a unit that you need to play around. But I was going to say, if you're a slow Baratheon list, that is not what you want to see across the table. What, what do yeah, you I'm also pretty... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm also pretty happy that I saw the stone thrower. That's always a good sign. I think the stone thrower can be reliable if uh, done properly. I'm sorry, that's not even the way to say it. The stone thrower can be reliable, but you do need to set it up. There you go. It, it needs a lot of setup. Um, I'm very curious to see um, which which unit was not picked at all that Carlo mentioned. Mm, I thought I thought that might be interesting. You you may even be able to guess based on people's reactions. The only combat unit that is not selected is Jorah Mormont, Wandering Knight. <laughs> Admittedly, to be fair, there are only three Targaryen players, six Targaryen lists, but still, he is. it is interesting, shall we say, that of all the units in the whole game, he is the only one who does not appear once. Hmm. I don't know. I've advocated for the guy when, when ever since the Targaryen box dropped, uh, he's not the guy that you're going to YOLO into combat. And, I mean, he's not the mountain that rides. He's not going to swing the battle in your favor. The Targaryens are expensive. And um, I know there's things that can, you know, pretty easily take care of the dude, uh, failing panic tests, uh, things of this nature. But in a meta where, everybody seems to be trying to max out their activations to get that, that initial first punch that's going to kind of set the tone for the game. They want to get across the field and bloody their nose the best. Uh, I put him in my uh, theory-crafted Targaryen list uh, simply to get that activation count up so my hyper-mobile, hyper-aggressive uh, screamers and uh, veterans or whatever I had in the list could get across there and be in a better position. So... I, I don't care how much people pick on the guy. Uh, I'm I'm kind of surprised that he's not used. I think 
a cheap activation in an army that has really no cheap activations, I, I, I would think that he would be chosen. And his order is also really nice. Not, uh, yeah, he's not going to go in and beat anybody's face in, but he could be a finisher. But his order is very, very good. Yeah, so Jorah Mormont actually is to the Targaryens uh, something that's very needed to them, which is a little bit more control, right? So he's actually, okay, very fragile, but if you keep him there in the back and he's administering fully, um, that does give you a lot more board control and that can help you deal that one or two wounds for your cavalry to trample through your opponent. I also feel he is not getting close, definitely. But once more the infantry comes out, I guess when people start using the Unsullied more and, and mastering them, then he'll make more sense as well because he is a great gap filler. The Targaryens themselves seem to be, um, as is to be expected when we're still waiting on that first hero box, those options to really open up, the Targaryens seem to be searching around for where their lists really lie. I mean, across only six lists, we have Dario twice, Drogo once, Jorah once, Roos once, and Ramsay once. Everybody seems to be trying a different style. But interestingly that you mentioned, the one singular constant is across those six lists, every single list runs a single unit of Unsullied Swordsmen. One unit, no more, no less. Everybody seems to have decided that they're going to give them a go, but they can't afford two, but they're a necessary kind of addition right now. I think Dario will quickly be replaced by Grey Worm when he comes out. I think they they are kind of they they are he, he is the faction specific version of Dario and I think people are really looking for what Grey Wind intends to bring and they've found it in Dario but he's not got quite the specific faction tools that Grey that Grey Worm will bring. So I fully expect to see Grey Worm being quite popular. Um, he just managed to not make it into the event by a, fa a factor of about three days. So maybe very soon Targaryens are going to get the Baratheon factor, I would call it. That hero box, hopefully a unit real soon. And suddenly we'll see what's going on and everybody will be on them. You'll probably see people jump ship from Starks over to Targaryens, just as they did from Lannisters over into the Baratheons as they see those new shiny tools the same similar kind of play styles. That's what I that that that's my big takeaway prediction. Unless you know people just stick with those Starks because everybody seems to think they're very very strong. All right then, um, I guess let's go ahead and uh, Targaryens. Is is any of this a surprise to you? I know you've had some experimentation with them. Um. 
I don't know if I would say it's really a surprise. I think it's right about what I would have guessed um, as far as representation and what is used. Uh, though, to be honest, I didn't know Unsullied were um, usable. Uh, though it's not that I think they shouldn't be. I just didn't think about it until just now when it came up. Um, so that didn't really cross my mind. But knowing that uh, that they're allowed, I'm, I've kind of been in the same boat that – I feel like one is like the perfect uh, spot to be with their price tag, especially once uh, Grey Worm becomes available. That, I mean, granted, yes, every army can have the option to run their commander in an amazing unit to you know get that boost without increasing their points, but Grey Worm in there making them that strong for nine points is going to be ridiculously amazing. Um, and I'm I'm very uh, curious to see how it plays out. Uh, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. Gray Worm, Gray Worm is not allowed uh, since he was just spoiled. Yeah, Gray Worm. Gray Worm wasn't um, was 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 released um, released was um, spoiled by uh, Fabio. Did you spoil it or did uh, Michael Schnauf spoil it? Anyway, spoiled by one of you. Um, actually, just after. I think about 24 hours after I'd um, locked in the commander selection. So people had some time after they locked their commanders to then lock their lists. But Grey Worm being a commander option, he came after that selection came. Also, we haven't actually seen the specific wording on all his cards. So it was a real dicey area for me. I had this when uh, yeah. when I heard through the Discord <laughs> that it had been, that it had been uh, spoiled. I was like, oh my God, panic attack. Do I allow him? Do I not? Is there going to be murder on my hands? I thought no. He he has to not he has to not be involved. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I I do like that Unsullied are allowed. Uh, it'll give people a nice uh, way to test them out competitively uh, with everything going on. Um, so yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting to see how they play out. Um, do you know? Do any of the Unsullied's Sullied, uh, are they running the three-point attachment um, in any of their lists? Like combined um, for the twelve-point unit? Yeah, so similar to um, so similar to the commanders. There seems to be like people having a, and a try at everything. You know, we see we see Dario Commander in there. He obviously uh, cards like Force March are going to work really well with that. Um, we do see the Unsullied Captain in there coming in at that twelve-point double activation unit. Um, but it's a bit of everything. People are trying all sorts of things, um, trying to find what fits, I guess. Also trying to find the balance of whether or not they can really afford that 12 points, 11 points. I think uh, there's a Dario attachment in there who's going to come in at two, making you 11. Basically, nice. where the sweet yeah. spot is. So, yeah, I'm I'm not really surprised. I think... Uh... Targaryens are going to have a little bit of an uphill battle, um, but that's not because they're necessarily weak by nature. I think they just don't have as many tools yet. Um, and it's definitely not like it's unwinnable sort of uphill battle. I just think that, uh, you know, it having less options, will, they'll just have to be a little more creative with uh, some of the stuff that they're going to be doing. But um, I would not uh, be surprised if Targaryens place pretty high uh, in it, whether or not they'll get like the top spot, uh, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I think uh, Targaryens are 
at a good spot right now with uh like what what is being um ran going back to the historical statistics that I've collected so the vast majority of these come before um before we see unsullied uh, before we see the recent round of baratheon releases the targaryens have been outperforming the baratheons they they still have with their very limited unit selection limited commander selection they've still been managing to win 40 percent of their games which is not too bad you know that's not on the same kind of level that the baratheons were struggling at and in terms of their actual ranking number it was a mile away from where the Baratheons are. What, what that sort of represents is, is that um, lots of um, good players, by comparison to what the system thought, tried to play Baratheons and found themselves losing, whereas it was less experienced players playing Targaryens, according to the rankings. Obviously, a player, the, the rankings has to learn how good you are, learn how experienced you are by your submissions. But anyway, generally, the Targaryens were not faring so badly in their results. So I think that they have the basis that they need to be very strong. As with all other factions, they just need a little bit more to bring them up onto the same competitive level. And at the Paris Masters of Westeros tournament, there were not that many... Targaryen entrance, but this is before the Unsullied come along. They did not do too badly at all as an average finishing position. They were a completely average faction in terms of where they finished. And I mean, going back into it, they finished higher on average than Starks did. Higher on average than Night's Watch did. So there's nothing wrong with the state of the faction as it is. I'd be surprised to see them right up there at the top. Because they don't quite have the options in that two-list format, six or seven game competition, to be able to compete in every game mode equally. They still struggle in a lot of the objective-based missions. So they perform well in objectives like Fire and Blood, but fall down where they're having to hold these objectives. And the Unsullied might really give them that boost. Okay. Well, we can uh, we can move on. I think we've got two factions left to touch on, unless my math is just horrible. Uh, I know we've got Lannisters, so we can... Yeah, we do. We've got Lannisters and Night's Watch. So we can move on to Lannisters. Um, if you want to give the commander breakdown on that, I, I already had a gander, and I know that I'm very surprised by one of them, but you want to go ahead and give us those numbers? Yeah. So there is a decent range across what's only 10 Lannister lists, like I say, super unpopular right now. Um, Gregor, with three selections, is the most popular, and that's followed, as always, by their NCU choice, High Sparrow. High Sparrow, according to the statistics, is super strong. Um, He's about the only commander that can compete with Harmer in terms of raw win rate. Um. People might be surprised to find that there are two Joffrey selections. And then we see just a single Tywin, a single single Tyrion, and a single Roos. We don't see... We seem to be seeing a very aggressive kind of Killy Gregor lists and some faith-based lists, but we're not seeing that Tyrion control, Tyrion, Walder and uh, Varys kind of list 
that used to kind of dominate the meta, maybe not before Walder came along, but has been known to be incredibly frustrating to play into for some players. And and that's that's what I was going to say. Really surprises me. Um, with Varys kind of being back in a pretty comfortable spot, um, I feel like Tyrion is is another uh, commander that's similar to the Free Folk in general, where uh, a player that gives him some attention and gives him some time is going to find that he's really rewarding. Um, I know Dave can attest to the fact that when I first started with Tyrion, I was getting my face beat in. Uh, it just takes some practice. I think I lost 15, 20 games in a row, but I stuck with him. And then, you know, obviously it was rewarding because I was able to pull off that Gen Con win. But um, I don't think that he's really any worse off. I, I think that he would still be a strong choice. Um, I'm genuinely surprised that he's only appearing once. Uh, his, his BFF Barris is back at four points. And I think a player that's playing Tyrion competitively is probably at the skill level where they can, they can predict what's going to happen and really get the best out of Varys, not knowing what zone is going to be claimed. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just surprised. Uh, what about, and, and then you, you said three Gregor lists. Um, maybe even more so the uh, surprise that Tyrion NCU doesn't appear at all, but there's four Gregor lists or three Gregor lists and Gregor's, builds depend on cards and combos and it just in my mind I, I couldn't build a Gregor list without Tyrion NCU for that four card hand uh, I, I find that rather odd yeah I, I agree um, Gregor and Tyrion NCU seem to come hand in hand so I'm uh, I'm unsure about those selections actually I, I honestly mostly overlook the Lannisters when I look through the list I mean I'm a Lannister player and when I saw how few there were, I just thought, oh, well, there's probably not a lot interesting going on there. And uh, and I guess maybe I should have looked a bit closer because, you know, like these aren't the lists that I would have built. Uh, I personally, um, in a two-list format, I, I run a High Sparrow list and a Tyrion list. Um, but like you say, when I have run Gregor, it always comes with a Tyrion NCU and um and a Preston Grenfield uh, attachment because Gregor lives and dies by those tactics cards and uh, it, him getting them drawing them being aggressive getting overruns are kind of Gregor has stepped away from the core mechanics of where the Lannisters are normally strong and he's tilted really hard into a very different playstyle and he needs his cards to really make that pay off for you. So like you say, I'm, I'm unsure about the decisions. It's not what I would have picked if I was Lannisters. And I think Lannisters might have a rough time. They did in Paris. They were one of the lowest average finishing positions. According to the statistics on the stats site, their ranking has steadily been falling over the past few months, as has their win rate. They're, they've just recently gone negative as a, as a faction ranking. That means that they're basically below average. If you're looking for an average faction, it will score zero on the stats site. And they sit currently um, at about minus 10, which is not a big number, but is significant considering once upon a time, they were one of the strongest factions. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if you have it in front of you. Um, uh, how how popular was Tywin in CU? Because he he was a staple in my Tyrion list as well, and I feel like he's still a very very strong NCU because he's he's capable of shutting down some of those big plays because he can he can be played at the start of the, uh, the Lannister turn or the opponent's turn. Is is he being taken at all as an NCU in any of these lists? Ty- Tywin's reasonably popular. There's three Tywins across ten lists, so again you're you're in the um, you know kind of thirty three percent thirty percent kind of um, kind of region, which is strong but not auto include. Yeah, I I don't know. It kind of just blows me away. Um, I think Gregor has become significantly more powerful with the with the change to the panic rules because presumably a Gregor list is going to be full of vicious and presumably they'll be failing panic tests more often while they won't take five, six, seven wounds on those really bad rolls. He should be able to reliably with his um, tactics cards, giving free attacks and overrun, giving, uh, giving free charges. You would think that the panic damage would really start to accumulate and Gregor would be more popular. Um, that said, um, yeah, I mean, I mean what, what, do, what do you think? Am, am, am I crazy or do you pretty much feel the same way? Is that to me or Fabio? Uh, either one of you, honestly. You, I guess you and I were kind of uh, yeah. I, being Lannister, Lannister buddies there for a minute. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think, I think Gregor got um, – you can't overlook the fact that Gregor – was one of the biggest um what's the right word uh one of the biggest buffs when you change the timing on when Varys appears because that's what really changed for Varys is you must choose to play Varys before I choose to play one of my very important Gregor cards to change the zone's effect to become a charge so I can save that until I know that you're not going to. Cersei comes in at half of all the Lannister lists. She still seems to be intrinsic to the way they play. For me, Gregor is too much of a deviation from the core way that the Lannister deck is built. The core strengths that it has, you kind of forget all of them and you basically say, I am Lannister, but I kind of want to play like a Stark. But I think you're just going to get outmaneuvered and outdamaged. And like there are more explosive options inside the Stark lists than there are in the Lannisters. And you're trying to imitate another faction when you play Gregor. I, lo- I love the fact that the option's there. I love the fact that that is a choice. But for me personally you might as well play into that control style. I lean hard into everybody hates Lannisters. I, I revel in the fact that you are not going <laughs> to enjoy. <laughs> you are not going to get to do your favorite things. I'm going to counterplot you. I'm going to use Tywin on your big units on an important turn. And you know what? I'm going to bring Walder just for a little backup too. You're not going to have any of your favorite toys. And that's where... Lannisters, their core mechanic is for me, 
That's where I see them. And I like to lean into a faction's core mechanic as opposed to try and balance it out. That's how I see the two, two list format really working. That at least one of my lists, I'm just going to lean so heavily into how my faction plays that if you haven't prepared a list that can play into my control style, well, that's your fault. And I'm going to control you right out this game. And if you have got a list that's massively going to play well into that control, well, I do have another list which is far more balanced. And I, I'll give you a balanced game. Yeah, I, I think you mentioning the psychology of the game is another important note. Um, I think if you can frustrate your opponent, uh, you can make them make some poor decisions. And when I was running that Tyrion style of control, I think that worked to my advantage more than a couple of games where they just made decisions that were not their best just because their mental state had changed because that control kind of permission play style just kind of took them out of their normal game plan. And uh, I think that plays into their hands. Uh, what, what do you think, Fabio? Is this uh Lannister thing surprising to you? Or are you surprised to see less Tyrion? Um, yeah. I'm actually more surprised to not see a lot of heavy focused faithless. And I was also expecting a little bit more of just, uh, I'm sorry, you you guys didn't say all the lists specifically, but I thought that there was little diversity, just like the sheer amount of Gregor lists compared to the amount of uh, players involved. And I was expecting a little more diversity. Like you said, there were like Gregors and Jeffries. Is that it? So, yeah, there's, there's three Gregor, two High Sparrow, two Joffrey, and then just uh, a single Tywin, a single Tyrion, and a single Roos. I would say across only 10 lists, it's reasonably diverse. You know, um, not there, 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 there are, of course, some commanders that are completely unselected there. But, uh, you know, we will not need to list them all. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, once again, uh, with a small amount of players, it's very hard to reach any conclusion. Yeah, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult when we're only talking about um, five players. It's skewed largely by individual preference at that point, and that's why that 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 what the stats site is trying to get away from in general. Try not to look. You can't look at data when it's so small. We're trying to look at huge trends here. We're trying to create um, a pool of data which is bigger than the amount of games that anybody's ever experienced firsthand. So if the results don't match your local meta, honestly, it's more likely your local meta that deviates from the norm than the stats are wrong. Because we're talking about a thousand games here. Even you, Brett, and I know you play a lot. I doubt you've seen firsthand a thousand games. Local methods are also going to be very dominated by the strength of the individual players in a local area. It's particularly because the individual players who are the best in a local area are normally the innovators of the lists. So the best player and the best faction kind of come hand in hand because people see the best player, play a list, and they then assume that the list is good. 
and 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 often not enough kind of kudos is given to the player who a created the list and b plays the list what i love so much and honestly fabio i really love it about this game is that knowledge of your own list knowledge of your opponent's list and knowledge of the matchup and the experience of the whole thing is so important i don't think that you can take somebody else's list put it on the table and play it against a experienced decent opponent and expect to win with it every time i've changed into a new faction a new commander a new play style i always start with losses and as you learn and tweak and improve the list itself improve your knowledge of how it interacts and improve your decision making around what risks your list kind of revolves around that's when things really come into the fore so i think that this is what the stat site is really ultimately trying to get away from if you can remove player ability and remove local influences from the data and look at it as a whole giant clump of results then you can start to see trends that are beyond player skill beyond local deviations well hopefully um, i'm sorry may i go yes fabio it's all you um, so, yeah, that's really interesting. And also, so I'd like to kind of do a plug, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd say that this idea of having to know the, the game state and knowing your list, knowing your opponent's list, and the game mode, um, I'd really recommend for people to try to uh, play a little bit more of the game modes with the secret mission. Because if that's the idea of trying to get to, getting to know the secret mission deck and turning that up to 11, of trying to be prepared for any situation. So, Winds uh, of Winter, Dark Wings, Dark Words. Um, if people can give them another shot, again, I'd say. I have to say, Fabio, um, so the, I, I chose six game modes. For, uh, for the competition, wanting it to have at least six rounds so that we could get, um, with a Swiss draw, six rounds, 64 players, we get down to, hopefully, there'll be a single player undefeated. Just for ease, the first five game modes were the five game modes that you would expect. And I'm left with this decision, Dark Winds, Dark Words, and uh, Winds of Winter. I, I aired on the side of Dark Winds, Dark Words, and I was not fully prepared, I will say, for the, the backlash that people gave towards me selecting win, uh, Dark Wings, Dark Words as even possibly being a competitive game mode that people play. And honestly, I, I couldn't believe it. I, 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 I don't understand that that's wrong. That, 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 that's, not, that's not the right way to put it. I do understand why people don't see it as a competitive game mode. I just think that they haven't approached the game mode in the right way yet. I have played a lot of war games in my past, but actually from a competitive standpoint, I'm more of a card player than I am a war gamer. I play card games far more competitively than I play war games. And I think that that leans into the fact that I really enjoy the secret mission games 
and by enjoy, I don't just mean this is a casual game that I can play. I don't care who wins. I mean, I enjoy the different way of approaching the game mode. I understand that people don't like that it is very different to the other game modes. When you look at the other game modes, you automatically lean towards this idea that you are trying to kill your opponent. You are trying to take certain points on the map and you are fighting a battle effectively. And that's why it fits naturally with its war game style play. But Dark Wind's Dark Words for me is almost like playing um, it's almost like playing an engine builder board game. What you're actually looking at is I have these amount of resources and I have these ever-changing victory conditions. How can I best use my resources to score these victory points? Be that is the tactics board now by far the most important part of the game because there's a couple of cards which say if you control this, then you will score victory points. There are these objectives on the table which may turn out to be complete red herrings because they may be worth zero victory points. But people will take them anyway because they're so used to victory points being given for controlling these objectives. And, and finally, giving up actions and sometimes refusing to kill your opponent are the best ways to achieve victory in this game mode. So I see when I state it like that, why some people don't enjoy that. They don't enjoy that game mode because it's not really close to a war game anymore. But to me, it is just as balanced and just as good. It's just different. And also, finally, I think where it really plays best into what competitive A Song of Ice and Fire is, is that it has and should have a very different list-building mentality and when you know and study the secret mission deck, you will see that there are very obvious trends to how you will score points. And if you haven't built options into your list that will score those for you, be it, say, you know, lots of, um, lots of condition tokens given out, be it uh, controlling enough NCU positions on the board, things like that. I, I, I'm rambling on now, but honestly, Fabio, I am super, super on board with Dark Winds, Dark Words, and we will play it, and people will enter their results, and we will see if there are any trends there. But I just have to say, I don't understand why these people see... I, I, I had people quit the competition because I included Dark Winds, Dark Words. This is a competition which was free to enter and was giving prize prizes out and yet they wouldn't play it at all because of one game mode I picked so ugh, what, what, what can we do with that yeah that I, wanted to in itself. Well, I was just going to chime in really quick and just say that I actually you know I'm really competitive and I am fine with dark wings dark words being in there I think it's really fair and I love to play it uh, I like the fact that, the, you know, it. in my opinion, Winds of Winter is a little too swingy for me. I love playing Winds of Winter casually, but competitively, it just, 
it kind of sucks when your opponent draws like what they need and you draw things you can't really get. But Dark Wings, Dark Worms kind of takes that away, and it to me is like the perfect uh, way of using the um, cards competitively because you know you have the same uh, chances to score points as your opponent does since everything's uh, community. But yeah, sorry, Fabio, go ahead. No, uh, it's also a good way to start because then both players have all the information and they can learn through the deck together. But, but um, sorry, I personally really enjoy this winner, so uh, <laughs> it, it, it's staying there. <laughs> Believe me, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad it's there. And even though I've had some, some backlash to its selection, I don't regret the choice. And... I will, I'll continue to collect data for you, Fabio. And we, we'll, we, will, we will prove that the better player wins Dark Winds, Dark Words. It's not a random, random number generator. We just, have to, we just have to turn people's ideas around. Unfortunately, it's one of the hardest game modes to get anybody to submit data for. So then proving that it's a balanced game mode becomes incredibly difficult. Yeah, so let's try to prove me wrong. And, and get as many uh, dark wings, dark words in the on the, the set. Yeah, I, I, I'll give it a go. Um, I haven't honestly played it because it's generally uh, left out of the you know the competitive tournaments. But uh, I've read through it, and I don't I don't have any particular. Um, dislike for it so i'm very curious to play my my first game of it but i will be studying those secret mission cards like you said fabio so i think everybody who's listening and playing in the tournament should do themselves a favor and and do the same thing and kind of envision some of the cards that they've got to work with so yeah because if you're in the tournament you're playing it and you might actually end up liking it so i mean um, here's a a really big tip that like we 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 glossed over at the time but is well everybody's missed it the the king the the undisputed king of dark wings dark words is Alistair Florent. When he uses his his order tokens to swap places with a place that you've already claimed and can score you, it can net change. So there are a number of victory conditions in there, which are if you control X place on the tactics board, you score one point. If you control two different stated places you'll score three victory points what nearly always will happen is first activation i'll choose one of them and my opponent will choose the other if i run alistair florent i can take alistair onto the board and flip him into that second position and i've just netted myself rather than a one one three zero that's a three victory point swing from taking an ncu i bring it up because alistair is one of the few ncus that nobody in the whole game picked. That's because people aren't looking into Dark Winds, Dark Words in the right way. They aren't seeing it as on an equal footing with these other game modes, and they just don't appreciate that it is something that you need to build for, and that by including it, you actually increase the diversity of lists we see. You increase the, the variation and you, and you just get a more diverse, diverse game. Uh, much of what you said about Alistair Brent can also be applied to Littinger, where 
you might take a zone that you not necessarily need, but that will still give you points and do another effect. And Littlefinger is someone that's been slowly um, getting less and less table. I like Littlefinger. So, Carla. Yep. Carla, I was going to ask. Uh, so, also with that combo with, uh, with Alistair, you can also, if you're running uh, Stannis, um, you can um, Alistair onto uh, the crown and replace its effect for uh, one true king to throw three tokens on something for that act or for that uh, secret mission card too, and then Alistair onto another if you happen to have both of those uh, cards out. So the one where if you control certain spots, and then the other one where you can have one unit have one of every token type. Uh, so you could really make a huge VP uh, swing with that little combo as well. Um, exactly, and we're also... talking about we're talking about an NCU that's seeing no picks and a commander that's seeing very little love. But yeah. what people aren't realizing is that they haven't appreciated its value in the game modes that they play less often. Yep. Now, I did have a question about, because um, you are saying uh, the Dark Wings, Dark Words, is the sixth uh, mission out of, in the it, tournament? Not um, not sixth in order, but I mean, I will admit it was the sixth one I selected. You know, it was the last one to be put in. I um, I actually took some time to think about the order that they would appear. I made sure that like some of the I looked across the stats of the different factions, and I tried to make sure that the ones that didn't have glaring outliers kind of came towards the end of the competition. At the end of the competition is when you really don't want to see somebody in a very tight position um, playing for one on two, playing for four or five to get absolutely blown out of the water by the game mode getting away from them. So those, those game modes actually appear slightly earlier in the competition um, where people have more or even where I have more um, balance concerns. Specifically, I'm talking about Clash of Kings. I was more concerned about the inclusion of Clash of Kings than I was about Dark Wings, Dark Words. Clash of Kings unreasonably favors, according to all the data that I've collected, massively, massively, massively favors the Free Folk. From my statistics, they win 85% of games in Clash of Kings. Obviously, you can quite easily boil this down to it plays very, very strongly into the insignificant keyword. Yeah. I think that it's effectively currently a little bit of a lottery. If you're playing a more balanced list, if you don't have something very specific for Clash of Kings, or if you're not very, very experienced at it, very, very good at it, obviously nothing is 100%. You know, like you were saying, everybody can beat other people, but we're talking about in general. It's going to be an uphill battle if you happen to get drawn against Free Folk in that game mode. On the flip side of the coin, if you get drawn against Free Folk in Fire and Blood, you're probably in the driving seat. Free Folk are really struggling in Fire and Blood. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think- that uh, that was actually going to be my next question is like where it fell because I feel like 
Whether or not uh, Dark Wings, Dark Words, in my opinion, is a very good competitive game. If there's a lot of controversy around it, you probably don't want it to be, you know, the sixth round because then it's, you know, tensions will rise if you have, you know, the two undefeated playing on this mission and they feel like they got slighted because it's a mission that they don't necessarily agree with. So that's definitely smart to put some of the more, like the less, or the more controversial um, missions towards the beginning, um, not necessarily in a specific order, but just mm-hmm. more in the beginning and put more of like the the more of the missions that people like the most towards the end. Um, but uh, so we only have uh, a little bit of time left and want to have enough time to wrap everything up. But the last thing we have to talk about is Night's Watch. Um, so, Carlo, why don't you uh, put us through uh, or go over the commanders for that one? Yep, I mean, there's a good number of Night's Watch. They've they've always been constantly um, popular ever since they were released. (laughs) People still struggling to get hold of uh, their starter sets. You know, people, at least in Europe, screaming out to play Night's Watch. Um, So they're always going to be up there. Um, Like I said, I was surprised by Othel at 9. He's he's very much um, the go-to commander, uh, but maybe that's because um, people are leaning into that NCU choice. With expensive units in Night's Watch, um, it can be difficult for them to get to that three NCU usage. Our next most, to be honest, it becomes a bit of a free-for-all straight after that. Right down next, we see Alistair at five. Alistair got those buffs, and I think I think Alistair's very strong. Um, Jorah at four, Jon Snow at three, and Donal Noy gets that single selection. Um, so don't don't know something somebody that I'm not particularly uh, familiar with, but uh, I know that Brett was when he saw this, he was incredibly surprised by John only three inclusions. But uh, I know that around my area and my opponents, Alistair is seeing uh, a lot of love right now, and I, I really like the way he works. Yeah, my my tournament list with Night's Watch included. Uh... Uh, John Snow is the primary, and then Alistair is the secondary. I, th- I think Alistair is phenomenal. Um, he's got answers for a lot of things that John doesn't. If you if you need stuff dead, uh, it would be Alistair or Yarwick. But I genuinely prefer a ground commander in almost every situation, so that's why I lean more towards Alistair. But uh, with that said, I am surprised that John's not as popular. Um, I know that Ghost took a little bit of a hit, but I still believe John is one of the best, maybe the best commanders in the game. And, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm surprised that he took as much of a hit. I don't know if it's simply because of Ghost, maybe because guys are really liking Alistair and, uh, and um, ah, Yarwick. I couldn't think of it for a second. But uh, it, it, it does surprise me. I had a lot of I had a lot of luck and a lot of success with John, but uh, you know that just goes back into what you were saying a little while ago about uh, the list being designed more around the player, and and that's fine. So that's fair. Yeah, I think uh, Yarlick might might be seeing a lot more uh, play than uh, um, than usual because of some of the Night's Watch uh, point bumps. They're probably uh, needing that extra few points saved. Uh, I guess the question would be then, uh, Carlo, do you know how many uh, um, of the uh, Yarwick uh, Yarwick, uh, lists are 
running three NCUs or are they running two to save on those points? Um, I'll see what I can find. I'll tell you off the top of my head, um, Night's Watch in general are one of the factions that lean most towards the two build because obviously they have that high um, high cost on the on their combat units, so they find it much more difficult to reach reach that three without compromising themselves on the battlefield. While I look for the numbers, that that is a really interesting point, which was something that I was going to talk about earlier. We never really found the time. Um, there's the old age old question: How many NCUs do you run? And uh, in this in this competition, we see people um making uh, making that decision pretty heavily onto the three ncu lists 69 percent of all lists entered have three ncus 31 percent have two ncus nobody's gone crazy enough to pick one or four so we're in a relatively established two and three ncu meta right now with pretty dominant pretty dominant two to one factor of people favoring that three ncus um interestingly enough without numbers off the top of my head that seems to be a player by player choice slightly faction by faction too but effectively if a player chooses to play two ncus they do so mostly in both of their lists and if a player chooses to play three ncus they do so in both of their lists you are looking at reasonably close to 70% of players choosing to play with a 3 NCU meta and 30% of players choosing to play in a 2 NCU meta. As to answer your question, of the eight Othel Yorick lists, five of them come in with 3 NCUs and three of them come in with 2 NCUs. So most of the time, just over half, they're using that to get that third NCU, but I guess sometimes they're using it to really max out on that combat um, on, the, on the field units. Awesome. And then, uh, so we're running uh, down to only about seven minutes left. Uh, Fabio, anything you wanted to add in there before I start putting uh, us up? No, no, go ahead. This is very interesting. And I have more data we can bring to the stats. is just good. It's just amazing. It's just another source of information. And it, it can be very helpful for everyone, right? And I think that it's interesting, once again, because we can also see how uh, just um, game mode choice, for example, players, uh, and just that can influence local meta because people might shun down game modes. It's also very interesting to see the uh, and just the amount of use and uh, also which commanders are being taken. Some things I was expecting, some things I wasn't, but it has been a learning. These couple of last hours have been a, a lesson for me. Awesome. So yeah, uh, with that, you know, we're going to kind of wrap things up. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to, of course, uh, you know, Carlo and Fabio, you guys, awesome that you guys came on and uh, definitely check out um, uh, Carlo uh, at uh, um, N NGR, NRG Northern, NRG. Northern Realms Gaming. <laughs> I have uh, I have a friend that has another site that has the same uh, uh, letters but in a different order, so it was giving me a tongue twister there. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, 
We have some awesome things uh, in the works that will be coming up. Um, another shout-out I want to give that's kind of off-topic uh, that I learned recently. Uh, my cousin has a uh, a uh, show that he does, um, and they do it uh, every Sunday around noon uh, on Facebook uh, Live, uh, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. It's called The Nerd Chambers. Um, this is kind of unrelated uh, to tabletop. They talk about um, gaming entertainment and just like video games, a bunch of stuff like that. So I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, give uh, his channel some love if you guys are kind of like video game players, especially uh, right now with everything going on. Um, I know a lot of us, especially myself, had a lot of extra time to catch up on some uh, video games. So uh, check out uh, the Nerd Chambers. Um, but anyways, uh, other than that, uh, thank you guys for coming on. Um, don't forget, everyone, uh, like, share the page out. Uh, we're still only like 30 likes away or so from uh, 500, and then we're going to give away a Lannister or a starter uh, half um, of your choice. If you don't want either of those, we'll give you two unit boxes of your choice, and then we'll give an additional unit box out um, next week. Uh, episode we're going to give out um a unit box to a random caller so definitely keep that in mind uh and then an, uh one last shout out to uh let me uh sorry I forgot your name uh Spinster uh, I think you're still in the chat he had an awesome list so definitely go check his two lists out um, I might even, if he calls in next week, have him on to talk about them. Uh, definitely some amazing lists that uh, I wanted to talk about tonight, but uh, we kind of ran short on time. Um, but yeah, with that, uh, you can find our recording on uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on this site, of course, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and the small council is just a second. Just oh, Dave. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, real quick. I I, feel, I I really want to do a shout out for uh for Shane and Indy. Um, obviously with the coronavirus going on, everybody's local store is is hurting. So supporting local business is important. I'm gonna drop the link to Shane's page. Um, he could definitely use some help right now. And uh, aside from that, um, it's. He's not really talking about it because Shane is just a really selfless and helpful guy. But uh, his wife is actually making uh, masks for the community. I guess she's a really good seamstress. So she's helping out with making some coronavirus masks. So I, I just want to give him credit for that. It's not something he's ever going to brag about or go tell anybody. It's just not the type of person that he is. But uh, it's really, really solid for him. He does a lot for the indie community. And he and his wife are just sitting in there and, making these masks and doing everything they can to stay afloat. Uh, they do. He does have some inventory of Song of Ice and Fire stuff that people have been asking for, so I'm going to drop his uh, Family Time Games website on the Small Council page. So if you get the chance, definitely check it out, and if you've got something that he's got that you need, he would really appreciate the help, and he's doing you know everything he can. So. Awesome, yeah, and that's, that's a good point. Uh Definitely, uh, you know, help him out uh, if you can, or just help out any uh, of your local game stores because they definitely keep us going. And thank you, Shane, for all that you do, and thank your wife for all that she's doing. All right. Uh, with that, um, just keep an eye on our page for any other shout-outs, and uh, we will see you guys next time.
you are dismissed.